0: If you could have just one thing, what would it be? What is it that you really, really want in
1: life, brothers and sisters? We've looked this week at a man who turned with all his heart to Yahweh. But what does that really
0: look like? Why is it so important?
1: How do you even achieve that? It sets him in stark contrast to other kings like Solomon, of whom the record says quite clearly in 1 Kings 11 verse four, that his heart was not perfect with Yahweh his God, as was the heart of David his father. Well, it's not hard to figure out why the record might say that Solomon's heart was not perfect with Yahweh, but how can the Bible say that David's heart was perfect? This is a man who sinned in grievous and public ways. So how are we to understand what it means to have a perfect heart with Yahweh, like David, or to turn with all our heart, like Josiah, Well, we hope to finish our studies this week, just looking for a few minutes at this theme and pull on this thread of the heart's desire. And to do so, we're going to start by going back to this role model of Josiah, a man after God's own heart, and look at just a couple of words that David penned on the matter. It will come as no surprise, brothers and sisters, if I asked you which character in scripture is recorded the most in connection to the heart, and whose writings in scripture most frequently refer to the heart. It will come as no surprise that it's David, and it's not even close. It's David by a long shot. In the reading that we had done in Psalm 20 and 21, There are several links between the two Psalms and and we're not gonna spend much time in them this morning. We're just gonna use them as a launch pad. Most writers suggest that these are in fact companion Psalms, a sort of before and after Psalm 21, the before and Psalm 21, the after, if you will. And in fact, these actually make up a small cluster of Psalms from Psalm 20 to 24, which are heavily messianic. But if you want more information on that, I've warned brother John Gore that you're gonna come and speak to him afterwards. But rather than spend time developing the evidence for that, we're just going to take one of the textual links between the two psalms and use it to wrap up our consideration of the life of Josiah this week. A man who, when he read the book of Deuteronomy, no doubt could not miss the fact that over 50 times in the book of the law that Shaphan read to him, and then he reread it to himself. And then he no doubt copied out a, law, uh, a copy for himself and then read it himself to the people and clung to that law over and over and over. The law was supposed to get to the heart. And Josiah understood that. Psalm 20 starts with the prayer for the people, the prayer of the people for their king as they go into battle, as it were. Verse 1 Yahweh, hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. And then it says in verse 4, Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Perhaps another translation makes it a bit clearer when it says in Psalm 20, verse four, may he grant you your heart's desire, that's the ESV. And many others are similar to it. Well, that gives us perhaps some clues as to when in David's life, the Psalm might have been written because we have reported in other places what the desire of David's heart was. For example, if I say that there was one thing that David desired. Perhaps your mind races off to Psalm 27, verse 4, where he says, there is only one thing that I desire, that one thing I'll seek after, that with singleness I will pursue to dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life. Or the phrase, from 2nd Samuel 23 verse 5 that this is all my salvation and all my desire what is what is that in the context of brothers and sisters because we see in Psalm 27 that David defines for us what his one desire is it's to dwell in Yahweh's house but if we come back to Psalm to 2nd Samuel rather 23 perhaps you remember The context of that is when David says, This is all my salvation, all my desire. But you could probably guess now what it's in the context of. Psalm 23, verse 4 He shall be as the light of the morning. Second, sorry, Second Samuel. I think I said Psalm, Second Samuel 23, verse 4. He shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth. Even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain, although my house was not so with God, yet he hath made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow, or as Rotherhams and several other translations say, will he not make it to shoot forth? So David says this, contrasting what his own house had been with the everlasting covenant, 2 Samuel 7, that God had made with him concerning the house that Yahweh would establish forever by the hand of David. The desire of David's heart was that he would build a house for Yahweh and dwell there forever forever. That's what he says to the people in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. When he stands before them, an old man at the end of his life, he says, I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. We know that he was barred from doing that. But it didn't stop him from making every preparation he could for Solomon to be successful in that. And he knew as well that really it looked forward to one greater than Solomon who would build a much more enduring house for God. But brothers and sisters, you know and I know from experience that when our heart desires something and someone says you can't have it, we'll do everything else that we can except for that thing. And that was the spirit of David. So with that little element of Psalm 20 in mind, his heart's desire, we come back to Psalm 21. And we look for the same idea. And we don't have to look far, do we, brothers and sisters? Because whereas Psalm 20 had the people praying as it were, may God grant you the desire of your heart. In Psalm 21, we find the declaration made concerning the king in verse 2, that thou hast given him his heart's desire and has not withholden the request of his lips. Now, as tempting as it is, we won't get sidetracked this morning, to try to fit the pieces in together in determining the timing of the psalm and and how it could possibly be that God had given him his heart's desire if David had in fact been prevented from building the temple. There's a logical way to put the pieces together, but we'll leave that aside for now. And just consider the fact that David has told us himself, this is all my salvation, all my desire to build up the house for God. Now, leaving David, we could trace this theme all through the Old Testament, all through the scriptures. You remember King Asa that we looked at briefly yesterday with Brother Kitson in 2 Chronicles 15. Many years later, he made a covenant with God, and all the people entered into the covenant with him to seek Yahweh. And it says in 2 Chronicles 15 that all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, same words. And perhaps it starts to beg the question, brothers and sisters, if we take that at face value, does that mean that David's heart or in the heart of Asa and the people, that they really only ever wanted one thing in life, nothing else? There was only one desire in their heart. Well, that would be overly simplified, wouldn't it? Perhaps it it would seem like it's you know, our flesh wants to say, well, that's overly idealistic. To think that one might only ever have one desire, because after all, it's, it's not wrong to have a natural desire for food and, and to, desire, to desire friendship. Surely, these people desired those things, and it wasn't wrong. And it wasn't. We'll see that as we go along. But it would be difficult, wouldn't it, in one statement, to capture what our heart's single desire should be, if we could even do such a thing. And if we could only have one, if we could capture in one statement what our heart's one desire was, I suspect, brothers and sisters, it might not be to build a house for God, if I'm honest. But it's worth pondering for a few minutes what that one statement would be when we're really honest with ourselves. Because then it's worth asking, well, how does what I'm doing in my life fit into that? Does what I'm doing in my life fit into that? Am I really seeking what I'm claiming to be my heart's desire? For example, I might say that my heart's desire is for God's glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. So what am I doing to show that that's my desire, not just God's desire? And what am I doing to to work towards that being achieved through me? From another angle, we could ask ourselves perhaps, do the other things in life that I have to pursue and that I desire fit into the framework of the overarching single desire of my life? Do they fit into the orbit as someone referred to it this week in discussion? Because like we would suggest was the case with David and Asa, It's although it's not, that we should only ever desire one thing and push aside anything else that we should desire or that we do desire, natural or spiritual. For, For example, it's not wrong to desire to come to Bible school or to be baptized or to get married or to have children or to have grandchildren or to get a job or to travel. If any of those things was our single desire in life, that might be a problem. But if each of those desires falls into the umbrella of the broader single desire, whatever that one thing might be, and that single desire is the right desire, then all the other little things in life come together to make up that one desire. put simply, each individual decision that we make, each individual desire in our life are what makes up our hearts one and true desire really is. That's what scripture teaches, and we'll see that as we continue. The reason that's important, brothers and sisters, is because it helps us to realize that it's the smaller things in life that show us the true nature of the big picture of our heart. So when David says in Psalm 27 verse 4 that there was one thing he desired, he didn't mean that every day all he did was eat, breathe, and sleep preparation for the temple. But every day in the little choices he made and how he spent the funds and how he used his time in the places that he went and the conversations that he had, I think it was all under the umbrella of working towards the same goal. But the harsh reality is brothers and sisters, when we take an honest look at ourselves, we have all sorts of things that we desire. I can tell you mine, but they will be very different than yours. Some of my strong desires, admittedly, are are related to my house, some to my kids, some to my wife, some to you, some to my work. So how do we figure out what our heart's real desire is? Perhaps you've heard the expression, I'm not sure where originally was coined from, but the first time I heard it was from Uncle Bob Lloyd. He said, we are what we think about all day long. What do you think about all day long, brothers and sisters? Or perhaps put in a more tangible way, what do you think about most often? What are you
0: thinking about right now? Where does your mind wander
1: next Sunday morning? Sitting in our own ecclesial halls, once again, where does the mind wander when it accidentally slips away from the room? Or maybe that's just a phenomenon that I experience. Strip away all the formalities, all the outward appearances, any show that we might put on when others are around, all the right things that are so much easier to say and do when we're here together. And that's the that's the power of synergy in ecclesial life. What really is in our heart? Maybe it's the next milestone in life. Maybe it's a better wage, a higher position, a new job, something or device, maybe it's a spouse or children or grandchildren. Maybe it's a friendship with someone or a closer friendship or a better relationship with a brother or sister that we've struggled with for years. Maybe it's one more year of life, just one more. Maybe it's 10 more years of life. But whatever it is, brothers and sisters, we just wanted to dwell on that for a moment this morning. And as we do, let's just trace the theme in the New Testament in a few places as well. If you come over to Matthew 6, which we'll do in our readings in just a few days as we start afresh in the Daily Bible Reading Planner, even in places where the words are not explicitly used, this idea of the heart's desire is bound up in that familiar phrase from Matthew 6 that we'll read this week in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Put another way, your heart's desire will be determined by whatever you treasure most. Brother L.G. Sargent put it this way in his book, The Teaching of the Master. He said, the heart will turn as surely as the needle of a compass to whatever it desires most. That's the lesson of several of Christ's parables, wasn't it? That every action, every choice we make, contributes to either heart health or heart disease. Every deed, every thought, every desire of the heart, particularly the ones that we perhaps should remove but don't, they will, well, each one is like a seed that gets planted in our heart. And the good ones, the godly desires, are like precious wheat that yield as much as a hundredfold increase. But the ungodly desires are like the toxic tares that need so little water to shoot up. No root system at all is required, and they're this giant, ugly-looking thing that chokes out everything else and consumes the nutrients, blocks the sunlight, and stunts and chokes out the surrounding wheat. We plant seeds every day, brothers and sisters, and so do you. The way we speak to one another and to the children, whether our own or someone else's in the Ecclesia, it plants a seed in our heart and it plants a seed in theirs. Whether we provide for someone in need or not, plants a seed. The way we drive our car on the road, plants a seed. The way we talk about others, plants a seed. The time we do or don't spend with God in prayer each day, plants, a seed. All these individual seeds will produce a crop, we can be sure. Whether we tend them or not, the scripture says, our harvest will be based on the seeds we've sown. But where else does this thread of the heart's desire come up in the New Testament? Perhaps your mind has already gone to the Apostle Paul when he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Oh, would to God, brothers and sisters, that that was our heart's single desire for the salvation of our brothers and sisters. Paul had many desires in his heart. We'll see a few more of them in just a moment. But one of them, as it stood related to God's people, was for their salvation, that they would have the blindness lifted from their eyes and see the Messiah as he had the blindness lifted from his eyes to see his Messiah. But Paul also talks about other desires he had as well. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that his desire was to see the face of his brothers and sisters, but brothers and sisters in a dramatic contrast. The New Testament and Paul's writings and Peter's writings also talk about the dangers of fleshly lusts, our former lusts. The lust of the flesh and of the eyes, same word as the desire that we've seen previously in the New Testament. And in fact, it's used far more often to describe these fleshly lusts. Well, how do we make sense of that, brothers and sisters? But isn't that that the reality of our experience? That try as we might, our fleshly desires are relentless. They never tire. They're never satisfied. The enmity never goes away. But that's the way God wants it, brothers and sisters. The enmity never should go away. Because when the enmity is gone, the battle has stopped being fought. We have to work to develop our spiritual desires to have the same intensity that our fleshly lusts do, and even greater intensity so that they can overcome those fleshly lusts, that we can get to the point like the Lord did in the the most difficult moment of his life where he can say, my desire? With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. That is a powerful, powerful desire in his heart. There's a stark contrast to all of that in another of David's psalms. If you just come back quickly to Psalm 10 with me. Because as you scan down Psalm 10, perhaps you have colored already the phrase, the wicked. Because that's what so much of this psalm is about. It's there in verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 4 in verse 13 and verse 15. So right off the bat, we were given a clue concerning what this psalm might be about. And David describes the behavior of the wicked starting in verse two. He says, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. But now look what it says about the heart of the wicked. The wicked boasts of his heart's desire and blesses the covetous,
0: whom Yahweh abhorreth.
1: We read passages like this, brothers and sisters, and if your flesh is like mine, I naturally say, ooh, this chapter is talking about the wicked, not about me. But how often do we accidentally boast of our heart's desire? What do we find ourselves talking about to others a lot, perhaps? Perhaps that is what our heart's desire is, or at least it's of more desire to our heart than other things. It's myself. I remember a brother said to me once, the way the flesh thinks is we talk about ourselves for a little while and then say, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? because her flesh just is naturally inclined that way to to talk and to think and to focus on self. But this is why, brothers and sisters, in the words of Proverbs 23, God says, I have a solution. I have the solution for the heart. He's like a father who says to each of us, give me your heart. Why does he ask for our heart? Because we know that scripture talks about the heart as the seat of our real affections. It's the source from which all of our actions flow. In the words of the Lord from Luke 6, it's our treasure house from which we bring forth good or evil things. My actions are what you see, and I can cleverly disguise and, and repackage my works. In a way that looks very good on the surface but the eye of God penetrates the source right to the heart and if the heart is his if the heart is with him if the heart is true then so will the actions be that spring from it perhaps that's why Proverbs 4 says written by a man after God's own heart to his son Solomon <laughs> that above All else, my son, above all else that must be
0: guarded, keep your heart. Because
1: out of it are the issues of life. I don't know if you ever have moments, brothers and sisters, where it feels like there are so many different things in discipleship that I have to keep track of. And and the battle is just... It feels like you're fighting wars on every front, at every turn. The importance of prayer, the value of ecclesial service, the struggle of developing godly character. The list is long of things that we have to be diligent about doing or avoiding. But perhaps near the top of that list, brothers and sisters, needs to be guarding the heart, protecting what we allow in, Protecting what's allowed to lodge within it. Because so much of the rest of our lives flows forth like a spring based on what we've allowed into the heart. When you desire something, brothers and sisters, when you really desire something, and then you get whatever it is you desired, does it bring you real joy? Real, lasting joy? Sometimes, perhaps, depending what it is. But too often, I think we think, even subconsciously perhaps, that something will bring us joy. And then that joy that I got when I finally, after so many years, got a new phone. Or the joy that I got in that new, whatever the newest item is at Costco. Or the joy that we got when we finally got the new house or the new car that didn't break down so often or a better haircut whatever it is, we find that the joy is remarkably short-lived. Maybe you've heard it said before. The first time I, I heard it said, I think it was Brother Ron Kidd, maybe from this platform years ago. He said, we tend to overestimate the amount of joy and happiness that we will get from obtaining that new thing or experiencing that new thing we tend to overestimate the amount of joy and happiness that we'll get. Because naturally we can live from one acquisition, from one experience to the next. I'll be happy when I get this new item. I'll be happy when, when I've graduated. I'll be happy once Winter Bible School comes. I'll be happy when the snow melts. Now, desiring those things is not wrong, of course, but if if they become characteristic of our heart's true and overarching desire, if we're living from thing to thing or from event to event or from adventure to adventure, then we're looking for joy in the wrong place, aren't we? And we're at risk of being like the thorny ground where Christ says it's the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and lusts, desires, of other things have entered into our heart and will choke out the word. And the scary thing is, Paul says that God will give us over to the uncleanness through the desires, Romans 1 verse 24, of our hearts. He will give us whatever we really, really want. We've seen that in stark contrast this week, haven't we, brothers and sisters, between Jeroboam and Josiah, two very different hearts with two very different results. Jeroboam, a man who devised his own religion in his heart. Josiah, a man who hold a said had a tender heart. Perhaps there's a good litmus test that we can take, brothers and sisters. What do we do when we have received or obtained or achieved our heart's desire? Maybe it gives us an insight into the worth of that desire, whatever it was. Did you notice in Psalm 21 what David's, what David's response was? What did David do when he received the desire of his heart? Psalm 21, verse 2, where we, we picked up that phrase, Thou hast given him his heart's desire. But Psalm 21 tells us what his reaction was. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Yahweh, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice.
0: Proverbs 13, verse
1: 12, just turn there for just a moment because it uses this same word from Psalm 21 and so much of the Old Testament where the word heart is used. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. It's a good litmus test for the desires of our heart, brothers and sisters. When we do receive them or when we do achieve them, do they bring temporary and fleeting pleasure? Or are they like a tree of life? Because a tree of life is not a, a momentary fleeting thing. You imagine this tree that has put down deep roots and it grows up for years and years, providing life, providing shade, this strong, healthy tree. Is that what our heart's desire is like for us? Does it do for us what it did for David? What do you really, really desire, brothers and sisters? What do you really want in this life? Or to borrow this idea from Psalm 20, what is your
0: Psalm 20? And What will be your Psalm 21? If another brother and sister prayed, please give Brother Tim his heart's desire.
1: Who I wonder what that would be. I wonder if God granted me what that was, if it would in fact be what we want it to be and what it needs to be. Is our heart's desire focused on the enduring and the everlasting, that the house of God might be built up and unified and fortified and strengthened like David's desire was? Is our heart's desire something that we can and do pray to God fervently about. Something that others could pray for, and if we received, it would be for our eternal good. Is our heart's desire focused on the needs of others like Christ's
0: was? Now lest this
1: leave us, brothers and sisters, in a forlorn place, because when we're honest with ourselves, Often our heart's desire is not where we want it to be. And if you're in a place where your heart's desire is truly where it ought to be, then maybe as the Lord said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But if, brothers and sisters, upon reflection, we feel like my heart's desire is not always what it should be, there is good news. Because remember, brothers and sisters, that God is in the business of cleansing hearts. He's in the business of transforming hearts. He can perform the kind of heart transplant that we need. If we lay our tender heart before him and allow it to be pierced asunder, even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning even the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God promises brothers and sisters that he will give us a new heart and there's no waiting list. There's no rescheduled procedures because of worldwide pandemics. He has cured heart disease in many a heart as sick as yours and mine and worse. He's given us, brothers and sisters, the means by the power of the still small voice of his word as it, as it breathes through the heats of our desires, its coolness and its balm. He's shown us that he is more than capable by the careful hand at work in our lives to help us to turn to him with all our heart as Josiah did. And so let us, brothers and sisters, let us make that turn and stay committed to that turn that we with David and with Josiah and many others might be able to echo the words, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed
0: on Thee.